So this morning I ha- I have been, at first I had on, on my mind I wanted to, to share uh, a few days ago was about what it meant to be an oracle. And uh, I think more so, we'll get into the oracle, but more so what that has to do with and what it means to be an oracle of God and at, this, at this time where we are in prophecy. Where are we in prophecy? We are in between the 69th and the 70th week. That is the great parenthesis. That's called the mystery doctrine. Something that had never been revealed all those previous 690 uh, 69 weeks of years, and we're in between that, based upon John 1.11, he came unto his own, the nation of Israel, they rejected him, and that's John 1.11, but John 1.12 is, but as many as would receive him, to them he gave the power, which was Christ himself, in 1 Corinthians 1.24 and 1 Peter 1.8, he gave the power to become the right and authority there, is what that means in the Greek, the right and authority to become the sons of God. That's the church age. That's the great parenthesis. So the great parenthesis is in between the 69th year and the 70th year because the 70th, 70th year has to do with the tribulation period. So the tribulation period is the 70th year. But right now we're in between those two. We're in between them. And that's the, that is from when the church began in Acts the second chapter till the rapture. Church began in Acts the second chapter. We know that crystal clear, especially in those first four verses all the way down through. And then up until the rapture in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. We're in between that time. Then the 70th week is tribulation period. And then at the end of the 70th, uh, uh, 70th week of that tribulation period of which we literally we come back with Christ in Revelations the 19th chapter especially in those first 11 verses right down to the 21st fourth, 21st verse of that chapter then he comes back to establish his kingdom that's just giving us a little nutshell but in between the 69th week and these weeks are brought out in Daniel the seventh, in, in Daniel, the book of Daniel, and we'll we'll get into that very, very near future. We really want to con- complete that. But that's why the book of Daniel uh, is, is unfolded in Revelations, and Revelations is the completion of it. And that's why to understand Revelations, you must understand, and I must understand uh, the book of Daniel. And that's why in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all Scripture is inspired of God, not just the Pauline epistles, but all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable, profitable for teaching, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and, and as we see, so that we can be thoroughly furnished in those verses in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. But right now, in between the 69th and the 70th week is that mystery which was never revealed. We see the mystery truth, and not mysterious, it was always a part of God's mind, but not to be revealed until Christ would be crucified. Then he would go up and fulfill the promise of sending down the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16, and 17, who would guide us into all truth in 16, 13, and 14 of John, truth about who we are, but he would have to send down the Holy Spirit to form that church. In Acts, the second chapter, this is where we are in between those two weeks, the 69th and the 70th. That has to do with our calling. Now, let's get into 
our calling. And here it is. Let's start here. We see this. In verse, uh, in, in Romans the 8th chapter, the 28th verse, and it says this, We know that all things work together for the good. This is God's divine good. It's the Greek word agathos, just like it sounds. Aga, A-G-A-T-H-O-S, agathos. It's God's divine good. To them that love God, and we know that it's our privilege to be able to love him because, you know, in 1 John 4, 10, here is in his, here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the church and the churches only, those that receive Christ in this dispensation. Not that others weren't saved, but they just weren't part of this church. That's the mystery doctrine. You have to get into Ephesians, the third chapter. You can, you can look at those first five to eight verses and you will see how that is brought out beautifully. And it's bringing out the reality of chapters one and two of Ephesians. Now, this is what it says, to them that love God. And we know that we love our privilege because his love actuates loving us for him through our obedience. We love in 1 John 4, 19, because he first loved us. See, that's that first fresh love that it's talking about in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. We're never to leave the freshness of that because it's always continual because it has to do with the depth of our calling. So here, in, in Romans 8, verse 28, we know that all things work together for, for the good to them that love God, to them that are, listen, the called, and it's according to his purpose. Okay? You can read the rest of that the, to the 39th uh, verse in that chapter, which is phenomenal. But I want to focus on Romans 8, 28, where it says we're called, and it's according to what? His purpose. So now we go into Ephesians. We go into the first chapter of Ephesians. And I'll read these scriptures because they are phenomenal. Now this is Ephesians, the first chapter. And this has to do with our calling and our calling as the church that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 16 and verse 18, still future because he said, upon this rock I will. Future build my church and all the power and gates of all hell accumulated, what? Cannot come against, won't, won't come against it in any way. In Matthew 16, 18. So, but here our calling is heavenly, it's not of the earth, meaning it's not of kingdom teaching. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are the synoptic gospels that teach the kingdom, millennial kingdom, that was for the Jews. That's why he said in Matthew 15 and verse 24, you're not to go to any but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Because he still was, listen, calling out of people on the earth. That will be fulfilled and won't be till Christ comes back. And we said in Revelations, the 19th chapter, and then he binds the enemy after defeating him in Revelations 21 and 2. And then he sets up his kingdom in verses 3 and verse 4. That's when that will happen. So that will be the fulfillment of the prayer that he taught his disciples, his Jewish disciples looking for the millennial earthly reign. He said in Matthew 6 verse 10, pray this prayer, your kingdom, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. So we are to know the difference between the two kingdoms. The kingdom of God has to do with his universal rule over all for all eternity that he inhabits in Isaiah 57 and verse 15. The kingdom of heaven is his rule on the earth. That's why he said the kingdom in Luke 17, 20 and 21, when he was speaking to those there in that chapter, it doesn't come with observation because the kingdom is within. Where was the kingdom at that time within? It was within Christ who had yet to come to fulfill it and will. But right now there, the prophecy has to do with the earth, has to do with getting the earth ready for Christ to be known and glorified, thus glorifying the Father. That's going to happen, and that's the millennial kingdom, and that will be their calling. The Jews will will have that fulfilled by Christ as their Messiah on the earth. You see, their earth, their calling is earthy, earthly, ours is heavenly. This is where we get into the book of Ephesians. And so here we are in Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 1. Paul, a messenger of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says, by the will of God. See, everything about him and everything about our call has to do with Christ alone who fulfilled the will in John 4, verse 34, and John 5, verse 17, and finished it in John 19 and verse 30 on the cross. That was finished. Now, which are at Ephesus, the local assembly in Ephesus, a place where Paul taught for three years in Acts, the 20th chapter. He did so in Acts 20, verse 19 and 31 with tears, joyful tears. And sometimes they were sad, Two, there was sorrow involved with them, too. Now, he said, and, which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. It's not talking about how people, Christians, that are part of the body of Christ, and that are in Christ, having to do with their behavior, whether it's good or bad. Doesn't, it's not saying that. It's that God considers you to be the faithful based upon you being positioned in Christ. Verse 2, so as a result of that, everything about us being in Christ has to do with what? Grace. To you, personally, individually, that makes up the church. And peace, what? From God the Father. He sent his Son in John 3, 16. He's our peace in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. He accomplished that peace through the blood of his cross in Colossians 1 and verse 20. From, our, from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ in terms of their oneness, which is brought out in the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ in John 17 in those 26 verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, meaning blessings and praise and honor to him who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in where? The heavenlies, heavenlies, it really even says that in the original, the heavenlies, in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him. How? Because he called us to salvation. We're going to see how that works. He, he And blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ as he has chosen us in him. He chose it. Now, John 15, 16, he was speaking to his disciples, and we know it's to be true about us. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. That doesn't mean he bypassed our will. 
God never took away free will. He never violates someone's free will like evil, rotten teaching does that teaches you that God puts, according to his will, apart from anyone's will, he's made it to be so that certain ones go to heaven, certain ones go to hell, regardless of their will. Evil, wrong, evil teaching. The call has to do with God calling us. He never took away the free will because that would be the free will response to receive his calling, which had to do with his son that he offered first to himself in propitiation in Genesis 22 and verse 8, and then to whosoever would believe in him in John 1 and verse 12. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy. That means we experience the truth of our character only when we're holy. Not when we function in the flesh, but only in Christ. In, in our character, and that's what it teaches in 1 John 1, 7. It teaches character, not conduct. Holy and without blame, spot whatsoever, before him, where? In love, the love that his son is. The love. Remember, in eternity, which is brought out to us, that in John 1, verse 1, the Father and the, and the Son the whole time that Jesus walked the face of the earth, still being the Son of God and the Son of Man, yet never left the bosom of the Father, never left the pond, the bosom, the place of the most affectionate exchange of a love that nothing could disturb or distract. Yet he put on humanity and came out that we should be holy before him in love. Having predestinated, listen, predetermined us, not based upon only his will. First, it was his will. That's first love, by the way, in Revelations 2 and verse 4. And that's 1 John 4 and verse 10. But receiving him, now we love in 1 John 4, 19. But that's Christ. That's us receiving Christ and meeting God as our Father in him and not a judge. We never, never in Christ, we never face God as a judge. We never have to pray we never have to pray for forgiveness of sins. We may have to confess them, and we should and we do. It's part of our growth in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. We confess, and our confession is Christ himself. And any time you see in the New Testament, where you see, especially in the epistles, uh, uh, the church epistles, that God, uh, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gave the Apostle Paul, any time you see profession, cross it out, the proper word is confession. We don't, have, we don't profess, we confess a reality. And our reality, and the only reality we have is Christ. So, having predetermined us unto the adoption of, of children by Jesus Christ to himself, this is the finished work, this is receiving him, this goes into propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation, and reconciliation has to do with some tremendous things that we, we will see in the future and that we need to see very quickly these intense, these very intense, precise, very precise teachings that are brought out in the Word of God. And the adoption, and that adoption is brought out again in Romans 8, 15 through 17, 8, 15, 16, and 17, and Galatians 4, 6, and 7, that adoption. We were adopted of children 
by, and in other words, by and through Jesus Christ to himself, according to what? The good pleasure of whose will? His will, but never bypassing our will. When God gives a gift, tell me, does he ever take it away? He gave us free will. When Adam fell, he never took away free will because then he had that still, that gift to meet God's first will, his first call to meet. And of course, we meet in Christ in 1 Timothy 2.5 and Job 9 and verse 33. There's one mediator between God and, and men. It's the man Christ Jesus. Now, it's according to the good pleasure of his will, what? To the praise of the glory of what? His grace. Do we have any grace in ourselves apart from Christ? We haven't. We've been positioned in it in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, but to experience it without a will submitted, do we experience it and do we have it in all reality? To the to the glory of his grace, that's what Christ accomplished, wherein he has made us. Who made us? Read Psalm 95. Read Psalm 95. Read those first six verses. We are the sheep of his pastor. He made us. He made us. We didn't make ourselves. We didn't have a thing to do with it. Even the fruit thereof is of him. In Hosea 14 and verse 8, it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And it's the Holy Spirit who takes what Christ accomplished and the fruit that he accomplished by being on the cross, the travail of his soul in, in Isaiah 53 and verse 11. And that fruit is made ours. This all has to do with our calling and our position in Christ. All of it. Wherein he's made us accepted, what? In the beloved. <laughs> Christ came out on his, with his humanity. He tabernacled, the 114, to bring us back in to this loving embrace based upon our call and a proper image that when we function in it, nothing can disturb or distract that love that he loves us with. Ultimately, and many of our loved ones are going there where again, they will experience his continual love without stint, without disturbance, or without distraction for all eternity in Ephesians 3 and verse 19. To the praise of the glory of his grace where he's made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we are having, that's how we should read this, in whom we have, and thus we are having redemption. It's the accomplishment of his work being worked out through his blood. And by the way, his blood was his blood, and it was the literal blood, period. And it wasn't the same as the tainted, fallen blood of Adam and all of us that proceeded from him, conceived in that sin in Romans 5 and verse 12, and in Psalm 51 and verses 4 and 5, and Psalm 58 and verse 3. His blood was completely different, because the life of the body says the flesh in King James, but the life of the body in Leviticus 17, 11, is the blood, life through the blood, shed on Calvary. A lot of bad teaching on that too. That came in and started to come in and tried to infiltrate me, literally in my very early years, in the 70s 
in, in, the, in the mid to latter 70s to the early 80s that came in. And I remember reading that. that an individual that taught that Jesus' blood was no different than ours. And instantly, I just, the Holy Spirit was sent like a, a piercing into me and a crying out, no! <laughs> I remember it like it, was, like it was yesterday. I remember that. So, in whom we are having redemption through his blood, being worked out into our experience. What, what is it? The forgiveness of sins, constant confirmation of his love, that deals with anything that got in between his love and us. According to what? The riches of his grace, and all those riches in Colossians 2 and verse 3 are in Christ, hidden in him. And we, in Colossians 3 and verse 3 and verse 4, are hidden in him. Wherein? Wherein? He has abounded. See that life? You know that he abounded in John 10, 10a. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ said, I have come that you might have life and then have it more abundantly, that it may abound more and more. That abounding has to do with John 1 and verse 16. He's given us grace heaped up upon grace. And it's much more than we could ever realize. In Romans 5, Verse 20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, and then countless on top of that. So that through grace, righteousness may reign. In us now is his heavenly called people, and will ultimately in the millennial reign on the earth. It will. Having made known unto us, who's us? Those that are heavenly called, the church. Not earthly people, but heavenly what called us, made known unto us the mystery of his will. Is it mysterious, something we can't know? No. It had never been revealed yet until Christ was crucified. He had to be rejected, crucified. Church had to start to be formed in John 1.12, which was actuated and fulfilled in Acts the second chapter, all the way through to where we are right now, Right? All of us presently right now. We're on the earth, but our position is in heaven. Our position is in our heavenly one who called us. God's means of calling us as his church, heavenly, is his precious son. And it's only known by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that in John 16, 13, and 14, based upon 1 John 2, 20, and 1 John 2, and verse 27. Brought out clearly in the preponderance of all these scriptures so that we can have the most certain evidence in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the certain, most certain evidence, not seen by the natural man in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, but seen by those who in obedience and by his grace that function in his love for us. And he's for us in Romans 8 and verse 31. And Psalm 56 and verse 9. Having made known unto us in Ephesians 1, 9, the mystery of his will, according to what? His good. Notice it's his good. No other kind. Exodus 34 and verse 6. Matthew 19, verse 17. Luke 18, verse 19. Only good is in God. That's why we just read in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for God's divine good. To them that love him, respond to it. 
And so we see here very beautifully how it's brought out. According to his good pleasure, and where's always his pleasure located? Well, remember in John 8, verse 29, and Romans 15 and verse 3, Christ is the only one who always did those things that please the Father. Always. And now the Father's pleasure about us, in Revelation 4.11, it says we were created for his pleasure. Yes, we were created in Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus brand new in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, so that we could function in the pleasure of the Father's love for us and His Son. So in Isaiah 43, and verse 8, we're recreated for His glory. Who fulfilled that? Christ did. And then we were what also created for His pleasure. Do you see that? So this brings out the reality is that the grace of God is the only thing that can glorify Him. So it's not humility to reject it, it's pride. We're created for his glory, and has to do with grace, and for his pleasure. And we know, based upon Revelation 4.11, that in Hebrews 11.6, without faith, dependence, it's impossible to experience his pleasure. <laughs> because they that come to God, positionally and continually, must do it quickly, diligently, spadazo in the Greek. Do it quickly. <laughs> that has to do with forgiveness, confession, loving one another, not holding one another, and not forgiving. In 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, that evil device of Satan, how he keeps the church separated, and how he does so. That in the dispense, which he purposed what? He purposed in himself. God's purpose is in himself. He didn't leave anything for us to do. He didn't leave it up to us to produce fruit. That is, through our submission, the Holy Spirit produces it and shows us that's who we are in Christ. And it's love, the first thing. It's the ninefold fruit of the Holy Spirit. The first cause, first cause. God first causes love. All the other eight are the effects of being loved. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, which is self-control. And against such, listen to what it says, there is no law. What is it? Just the Ten Commandments in Exodus 23 to 17? No. The law of sin and death. And we've been freed. No condemnation, Romans 8, 1. For, you know, for what the law couldn't, couldn't do, God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he had humanity, not a sin nature. And for sin, condemned sin in his body on Calvary. So that now we function in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and not the law of sin and death in Romans 8, 2 and 3. All of this is our calling. This is our calling. And it's heavenly. It's not earthly. Oh, how the enemy wants to get us earthly bound. Earthly brown. Take everything that we have in our heavenly calling and bring it now down into our... Listen, the only way you can do that is when everything is about self. It's the only way you can do that. Everything's about me first, then, then God, then others. <laughs> no. If it's God, it's others, especially in the local assembly. Oh, especially in the local assembly. If you put God first, you put what his son won, 
as, as far as, as the, that local assembly, you put them first. And in doing so, now you operate properly as the head of a family, as the head of a wife and a family. You do not put other things first. You do not have your own separate little thing. Ever. Ever. Never. Because then you don't experience proper calling. Because we're all a joint in Ephesians 4.16 that bring out, all of us, that present calling and how the body should function. But if I cut off my little finger, does it function? No. It's by itself. <laughs> like that little finger that's in the process of dying can call others to be around it, to function apart from the body with its plans. And its so-called call is absolutely erroneous and not true. In 1 John 5.20, it's not true. It becomes an idol in 5.21. He did this, he purposed it in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, this is it. We're in it. Galatians 4.4 brings it out. We are in the dispensation of the very fullness of times. Can't get any fuller than our heavenly position in Christ. That he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. And that goes right into millennial reign. We're going to rule and reign with him. Did you know that? Over angels in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 3. Over the nations in Revelations, the 20th chapter. We're going to rule and reign with him. Married to him for all eternity. One with him. which are on earth, on the earth, even in him, in whom also we have, past tense, obtained an inheritance, again, again, that's Romans 8, 15, 16, and specifically for the inheritance, 17, in heaven, have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated, foreknown, and planned by God according to the purpose of him, who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Who's God's counsel? It's Christ. Who fulfilled his will? It's Christ. Where are we located? Is everything about us dealt with? The number one most important thing about us was receiving God's call and salvation. Next is getting into a local assembly where you are fed, where you cannot feed yourself. Nope. None of us can. I am in this local assembly right here. I cannot feed myself. He feeds me. He feeds us. That's why we gather around Christ, who's the head in Colossians 1.18 and 2.19, of his body, flesh and bones, in Ephesians 5.30. That reality is brought out in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Start in verse 12 and go right to the 28th verse. Those gifts had not yet been completed, but now they are by the time we get to Ephesians 4.11. They are completed right now. Some of those gifts do not extend to right now, although some false teaching will tell you so. Pretend that you may have certain gifts to know certain things when you already knew them. 
and you come across like somehow it just got to you by God. Nonsense. Not true. False. You end up worshiping the so-called messenger and not Christ. You become dependent on the messenger and not Christ. We all, every one of us, have to depend upon Christ. That has to do with our calling. And so we see here, in whom we've obtained this inheritance, being predetermined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. You're going to change his mind? You're going to change God's plan? Deuteronomy 32, 4. 2 Samuel 22, 31. You're going to change his plan? Absolutely, yeah. I am the Lord thy God, he said. In Malachi 3, 6, I change not. You see it again in Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ the same yesterday. That was God's plan yesterday. Today, that's still his plan. And tomorrow, future, it's always his plan. God's plan for you and I is Christ. That's our position of which we're positioned in. That's crystal clear in the word of God. He works all things after the counsel of his will. We see that again, and it doesn't change in James 1 and verse 17. That we, us in, in Christ, the church, the heavenly called ones, should be to the praise of whose glory? His glory. And the cross defines it clearly. We're not to glory in anything other than the cross of Jesus Christ, of whom the world... Everything about this earth and all its little plans, separate, in whom the world system is crucified unto me, and by the way, I unto the world. That we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted, or really hoped, in Christ. In whom also... You also trusted after you heard the word of truth. What is it? The gospel of your particular salvation that only God works in through the power of the Holy Spirit based upon Christ and works out in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And when him, he is worked out in your experience because he's been worked in, that does away with all murmuring and disputing in Philippians 2 and verse 14. Your salvation, you hear that? Each one of us he did that for. In whom also, after that you personally believed and received, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. Again, sealed in 2 Corinthians 1 and 22. Sealed in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 5. Proof that we are not our own, but that we are owned by him through Christ, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And we are his temple right now, where he resides in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And, and the truth of that is based upon 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. We are the temple now where he dwells. Which is the earnest, or really the down payment, so to speak, or the proof that we, that we have an inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, that's our bodies, of which we will get new in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, like unto his glorious body. We will see that soon. And then unto the praise of his 
glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith, dependence in Christ, and love, what? Unto all the saints. We are called. What are we called to do? To respond to the love that God loved us with. And then what are we to do? To love those first that are of the household of faith. First. First. It's not focused on the family first. It's focused on Christ. Period. 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 And that has to do with the body. And just so happens, just so happens that our, all of us, as, as the families that we have, that he's given us, are all one. <laughs> are all one. Now, I'm just going to read a few more verses and then we have to stop. We're going to stop there because this goes into some really deep and some very, very precious things. So we already read about the calling. And, and the, we're called the called. Greek article, the called, in Romans 8, 28. We just saw it here in Ephesians, the first chapter, in those 15 verses we read. But here we go back to, and I'll read these verses that we will get into, and we are going to close with reading these. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 20, it says, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. This has to do with proper preaching and teaching, by the way. In preciseness. Very precise. In a local assembly. It's very, very precise teaching. Very precise. Now, that's 1 Corinthians one twenty, and you can read it right down to verse 24. But it's 2 Corinthians uh, 7, verse 20. Then we see what we read in Ephesians, the first chapter. We'll see that calling all the way down in, in chapter 1, right down, all the way down to verse 23, the end of that chapter, and its results. Read it. And we will, eventually. And then we're going to see Philippians 3 and verse 14. We're going to see this in 3 and verse 14. I press... And this speaks of this speaks of this speaks of honest, godly labor. I press. I don't just lay back. I don't just blow it off. The times when we gather as the body of Christ. And thankful that for the most part we don't have that. But I press toward the mark for the prize of the high what? Calling. The high calling is that heavenly calling. The high calling of God, listen, in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as, as many as be complete in him, continue to be thus minded through the proper preaching and teaching. And if in any other thing you are otherwise have a mind that's not of him, cast it down in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. God will reveal this unto you. How does he do that? Through the preaching and teaching preciseness in, in a local assembly under the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's very, very precise. And there's nothing, the emphasis that we had yesterday, the emphasis that I had, and I think, I know that Barbara felt that, I believe that we all did, there is no time to be fooling around. There's no time to not have this preciseness. Boy, if you don't have it, we must get it. This preciseness. There's no time for us not to be precise especially when we're this close to the rapture, when all the signs right now point to second advent. And we have to go there to be with him, to come back with him during the second advent. 
first advent had to do with him born on the earth in Luke 1.35, on 1 verse 14. And then it had to do, then, then presently, prophecy for being fulfilled to come back, his second advent, when his feet land on the Mount of Olives, you see that in Zechariah, the 14th chapter, in those first four verses. Next. Next. We have 2 Thessalonians 1.11. And here it is, in 2 Thessalonians 1.11. Wherefore also we pray always for you. Notice that. The prayers are for you. The teaching is for you. Not against you. It may be against the flesh, but it's not against who you are in Christ and that needs to be separated. In Hebrews 4.12, so that then in your own spiritual warfare, you can take up the sword of the Spirit. In Ephesians 6, verse 17, based upon having the breastplate of righteousness, who you are in Christ positionally now in your experience, and you need to put on all that armor in Ephesians 6, especially in verses 14 right through to the 17th verse. So we see this. Wherefore, always we pray always for you. Why? Because God is for us. That our God would count you what? Worthy. Where's all our worth located? Who's worthy in Revelations 5, 9, and 12? Worthy is the Lamb. All our worth is there. But should count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness, which Christ has performed in you, based again upon Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And look at And the work of faith with power. When I trust him and depend upon him, it releases power. That power comes in, does away with fear, and then it gives me love instead of fear and a very well-disciplined, healthy mind. In 2 Timothy 1.7, based upon 1 John 4.17 and 18, that the name in 2 Thessalonians 1.12, the name, the person, and the work that of our Lord Jesus Christ that he may accomplish may be glorified in you. And you and him. According to the grace of our Lord, our, our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in every look through your whole Bible, no one ever made him Lord. We don't make God everything. We've been made everything in our Lord, sovereign, Jesus Christ, period. And so the next one we'll read is 2 Timothy 1.9. And in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says this, Who has saved us? Who saved us? And called us. Who called us? With a holy calling. You experience your calling to why when we're in the flesh? Never. Does it change the position? Never. Does it change my experiential relationship with Christ and God as my Father? Definitely. But it doesn't change theirs. And that's when chastisement in Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, and Hebrews 12, 4, right to the end of the, that chapter in 29, takes place. He has to shake what's not of him, the flesh, to get us back into that foundation which is Christ, which is unshakable. Not according to our works. Oh boy. Not according to our works. Romans 5, 20 and 21. Hebrews, uh, uh, Romans 11, 5 and 6. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's his work. But according to his purpose and grace. 
How do I experience his purpose? Through his grace, which leads me to truth, which was given us, listen, in Christ Jesus before the world began, but now is made manifest by the appearing of our, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has what? Abolished death for us. Because in Romans 6, 9, he that dies once dies no more. And death, death only is the door to eternity. The day of one's death now in Christ is greater than the day of one's birth. In Ecclesiastes 7, 1. And has brought life and incorruptibility. You see immortality, it's incorruptibility to light through the gospel. Tremendous truths as we begin to wrap this up in these last four minutes here. Then we have Hebrews 3 and verse 1. He, Hebrews 3. Wherefore, holy brethren, what kind of brethren are we? What kind of a Savior do we have? He's pure. Are we pure in him? In Titus 1 and verse 15? Yes. Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly what? Calling. 2 Peter 1 4 goes into this in a beautiful way, right to the end of that chapter also. Consider the apostle and high priest of our what? Confession. Not profession. Confession. Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him to, to, do, to finish the work in John 19.30, thus giving us that heavenly calling that he himself first is. He's the only one. He answered God's call. He's the only human being who ever answered his call. God called and Jesus heard. And boy, he did it to his father, but he did it for us. That calling goes into so much this morning. But now we have, as we close in 2 Peter 1, verse 10. In 2 Peter 1, and verse 10. Right? Look at, in verse Verse 9, but he that lacks these things, do we lack them in our position? No. But how about our experience if we're not taught properly? Precisely. But he that lacks these things is what? Blind. The blind leads the blind in Matthew 15 and verse 14. The, the enemy's an angel of light. He wants to blind you with wrong light. In 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14, so that now you become his minister. In verse 15. And we know that, we know that true, that we know that if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. And that can be someone who is born again, but lost in their experience. We know that. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world, that's a religious God. That's what it means there. The religious God, you know, Cain's religion. In 2 Corinthians 4, in, in Galatians 4, 16 to the end. Verse 21 and 22, he has his religion, but not a crucified Savior. It's a bloodless one. Therefore, no call. It's all earth. But he that lacks these things is blind, and whom the God of this world is blind of the men, minds of them which believe not. And if you don't know it, and you may be born again, but you've never known it, and you don't know it, how can you believe in it? How can you receive it? And cannot see afar off our eternity, our heavenly calling, and has forgotten, God forbid, that he was purged from his old sins. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. Wherefore the rather brethren, listen, give diligence, quickly, come, hear the word, quickly submit to it. 
to make to make your calling individual, your calling and election sure, immovable. For if you do these things, you won't ever fall. Now, we may fall experientially, but never out of our position. That's brought out again in Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, 1 through, really right to the end of that chapter. Now, I just want to close with this. God calling us had to do with his will, even apart from the operation of our will, which he never took away. Would you take away Would you just love your wife and take away her will to love you with that same love? Think of the utter evil nonsense of that, the pride and evil of it. It's sickening. God's calling is God's will. Wrote it right down. I wrote it right down. Then my calling has to do with my will that reaches out and meets him. And then I meet God in Christ. That calling is what we have as a heavenly calling. Father, thank you so much for the depth of your love and your calling. And to preach these things, you have to be subdued by God the Holy Spirit, who's the only theologian and scholar that can bring out the reality of thus, this. And thus you become, as we'll see soon, an oracle of God. So Father, thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for this truth. Amen.